coach tells us, get in the water, start doing your strokes. He tells everybody, front crawl, back and forth, go. Bump, bam, done. Then he goes, butterfly, back and forth, let's go. There I am, spitting it out. Front crawl, butterfly. Next up, he goes backstroke. I said, you kidding me? Backstroke's my thing. Everyone knows backstroke is the easiest one. You just float there and you just go in and out. There was a thing that happened to my bathing suit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee and Bible Time. Now, if you are watching this on our YouTube channel, then you can see me. Hello. But if you're watching this on our podcast, I'm so glad that you are here. Today, we're doing something different than we normally do. It's just me in my room. About to tell you a very cringy story. No, I'm not engaged. No one was thinking that. But if you thought I was engaged, this is my right hand. And also, it's a pearl. Um... We're getting off topic already. Um, Today, we're doing a story time about an extremely awkward and embarrassing and very weird moment in my life. In terms of awkwardness, high school did go downhill for me. I want to start off by just saying that I will be using some little tidbits that I get out of this book by Beth Moore. If you're interested in it, we'll have it linked down below um, if I can find it. (laughs) So today's video is going to be centered a lot around insecurity. And that is because I would consider myself to be a relatively insecure person. Throw Throw me back in high school. Then we're talking major insecure person, of course. Probably not a lot of people knew I was insecure because I tried to act really strong like most people do. Um, of course I was still awkward. There was no denying that. So before I start off this story time, I wanted to read a little excerpt out of here um, because you'll see why later. All of us have insecurities, even the most outwardly confident people we know. Minor insecurities can be little more than occasional challenges, but when life suddenly erupts like a volcano, insecurity turns into panic. Want suddenly feels like need. A hidden pocket of unmet needs suddenly quakes and leaves a cavern. The fear or the feeling of being unloved is probably our greatest source of insecurity, whether or not we always articulate it. That is the case with me, my little freshman me back in high school. Here we go. We're diving right into the story time. I couldn't articulate the need that I wanted unconditional love. Now for me, growing up in middle school and in grade school, I was always, I always felt loved by my peers because I grew up in a class with about 50 kids and I was relatively liked um, and I just never had a problem with friends. Then shove me into public high school, which I was in public middle school too, but shove me into public high school with a class of 1,200 kids and suddenly it feels like I'm in a burst. I knew no one in any of my classes and I was just going through an awkward phase where I just had to figure out who I was. Like I had none of my friends anymore. It was just literally a Lone Ranger Taylor out in the middle of the hallways constantly getting shoved into lockers. <gasps> wow. Not really. But were there times that I got shoved in the hallway? Absolutely. So today's story time centers around 
Oh, I'm cringing already. Today's story time centers around high school gym. Now, freshman year is already a disaster on many proportionate levels, but then throw me into a gym class where first you have to do health. I had health first semester, which really wasn't all that bad. I mean, no exercise. I'm just sitting in a chair learning about things. I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. But then second semester, you are clumped into a group of people, of all freshmen who have to take PE. That is the requirement in Illinois, at least. Illinois? Illinois, at least. And the thing about gym class is it would be dandy unless they throw in a swimming unit, which for an insecure girl in high school is traumatizing. And I know so many other girls that were like fresh, other freshman girls who literally dreaded having a swim unit because even though you're covered up by a bathing suit, it feels like you're going out there naked. Not to mention that it's co-ed, so throw in a bunch of rowdy teenage boys and girls together and it's a recipe for... Now, the thing is that with me, I had three major insecurities. Um, One of them was my acne and I had relatively bad acne my freshman year of high school so I always wore makeup to try to cover it up. Um, I had this makeup that was green and it neutralized all my redness. I had huge sideburns of acne on both sides and then of course bumps up here Um, and I remember my face always hurting because my acne was so big and it was the hormonal kind so you couldn't pop it. It just hurt and it was gigantic. And then my other insecurity was my body. And that's because after you go through middle school, your body changes. And maybe you don't have as fast of a metabolism as you did when you were a five-year-old. Not five, but you know, a 12-year-old. And so then your body is just kind of like, well, my metabolism is going to slightly fall out of the window. And you're left to your own devices, which basically is you just eating the same way you did when you weren't. So I had gained weight and my boobs had gotten bigger and I literally was just like, I don't even know what to do with myself. My third insecurity was boy awkwardness. Now, you'd think that if you had a brother, this would kind of calm a little bit of the anxiety because you live with one, you know what I'm saying? But my brother was five years older than me. I mean, we always got along, but we weren't like the closest ever. I didn't share with him all my secrets. I also never talked to boys in my elementary school, grade school, church, anywhere really. I was just kind of boy fierce and boy shy because I had an instant when I an instance when I was a kid where I did want to be friends with one of the boys in my neighborhood and he said some choice wor- words to me um, that kind of stuck with me. And as a kid, you don't know how to stand up for yourself. So the mean words that the the bullies say, or the boy says in my case, just kind of stuck to me and clung on to me. And I've just been kind of fearful to talk to them ever since because I feel like a fear of sounding stupid or a fear of embarrassing myself or like a fear that I'm unwanted, all these things stemming from childhood insecurities. But anyways, then you get into swimming and you're forced to practically go out there. I mean, in a skin tight bathing suit, it feels like you're naked. You can't wear makeup because it'll get all nasty in the chlorine water. Um, And then you're also, it's co-ed. So you have to literally be swimming right next to boys. It was basically me being horrified for like the whole year leading up to it. And then finally, when I got to it, I mean, 
was it the end of the world? Did I survive? Yes. But there was a story that came out of it. The only one-piece bathing suit that I had, which I really only have one-piece bathing suits, but the one bathing suit that fit me that I felt semi-confident in was like this one-piece bathing suit that I got from Target. It was black. It was a little halter neck. Had little tie strings that you put in the back. I mean, it was a cute summer moment. But then something happened. Did you see how I just paused there? Because I'm trying to really figure out how I'm going to say this so I can paint you guys a picture of what it was like to be in my gym class. Let's just say there was one boy my freshman year who I really liked. Now, if you're like me and you like a boy, you don't say anything um, because... What do I even say to that? You just don't say anything because you're insecure. And this boy I really liked, and he had a best friend. He kind of, kind of like his sidekick, who would always laugh with him, you know, be there, make funny jokes, blah, 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 blah. The cute one always has a best friend, right? And so the best friend and I talked a couple times, you know, just hear back and forth random things. He's a little feisty. I was a little feisty too because I didn't know how to talk to boys and I was feisty. And learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our in-depth Bible study academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. What of the requirements? Now, keep in mind, these two guys are in my gym class, okay? The best friend I don't really care about. But the cute one, I have my eye on. And the thing is, is that in gym class, in swimming unit, you have to learn all the different types of stroke. Front crawl, backstroke, butterfly, a bunch of other things that I can't name because I'm really not a swimmer and I blocked it out for my memory. It's a perfectly sunny Monday afternoon in gym class and basically it's the routine the coach tells us get in the water start doing your strokes he tells everybody front crawl back and forth go bump bam done then he goes butterfly back and forth let's go there i am spitting it out front crawl butterfly next up he goes backstroke i said you kidding me Backstroke's my thing. Everyone knows backstroke is the easiest one. You just float there and you just go in and out. There was a thing that happened to my bathing suit during that back crawl. Let's just say it was the heat of the moment. The energy was there and I was going fast. Trying to get there, get it over with, get done, get back to my spot. When all of a sudden... The ties on my bathing suit fly off and all I feel 
is a rush of cold water all over my chest. I'm like, that is so weird. And I just keep going. I'm just like still going, man. I'm like, this is so weird. Like, I just like, have to look. So I, I like stop literally in the middle of the pool, like get up while everyone's doing their crawl and look down to see that my bathing suit is literally halfway down my abdomen and my boobs are just floating in the water. And I was so mortified and panic i literally just look up to the first person that's across from me and it was the cute boy's best friend staring at me like this and i was like you have got to be kidding me i hiked up my bathing suit as fast as humanly possible i was like i'm done with this back crawl i don't have time to tie this thing in the middle of the water and i didn't want anyone else to see so i'm just like i'm doing a front crawl i front crawled all the way back and i tell my friend i'm like tie it tie it tie it so they tied it for me back there the whole rest of the class just making awkward eye contact with that kid's best friend he was always there looking at me it was like he knew and i was like oh is he gonna say something because you know how boys are they just think things are funny and they say it to their friends and who knows a topless girl in the water that sounds like a story to put on the front page of the news i was just so scared and i remember like leaving and going into the locker room at the end of the day feeling way more insecure about boys, like how I am around boys. The guy's best friend literally just saw my boobies. I was feeling also insecure because I was completely exposed. Like I had a fear of not wearing makeup and my makeup was off, but talk about topless off. And then also feeling insecure about my body. I had been insecure about my boobs ever since I was little because I was always bigger chested. And then this whole situation happens to me and I'm just feeling covered in shame. I remember keeping my head down after that class because I couldn't even look at him, that guy that saw, and I let alone address anything. I'm, I'm glad I didn't address anything with him. Like, oh, did you see my boobies? No, I didn't say that. I just literally kept my head down. I just like look back on that, my old self. I laugh a little because that story is funny to look back now but I also feel bad because I let my insecurities rule a lot of my freshman year um and then I also cared a lot about what man had to say and like I care a lot about what my peers said I wanted to be loved by them which leads me to this verse that I want to share with you guys which is Proverbs 19:22, which says what a man desires is unfailing love, and it is better to be poor than to be a liar. Look at this verse carefully. What in the world does being better off poor than a liar have to do with a man's desiring unfailing love? Think about it for a moment. The Holy Spirit is pinpointing the deep origin of our constant cravings to have more and more of everything. He is implying that our human tendency is to stockpile belongings and amass wealth in order to satisfy a cavernous need in our souls. He is also suggesting that we are lying if we're saying that our greatest need is anything besides unfailing love. The word desires in Proverbs 19.22 implies a deep craving each of us craves utterly unfailing love, a love that is unconditional, unwavering, radical, demonstrative, and broader than the horizon and deeper than the sea. Interestingly, the word of God uses the phrase unfailing love 32 other times, and not one of them refers to any source other than God himself. 
You see, God has the transcendent advantage because he created us and God got to make us any way that he wanted to. Since the only way to have internal life is to receive him, God created us with a cavernous need that we would seek to fill until we found him. Searching for unfailing love in anyone is not only fruitless, it is miserably disappointing and destructive. I am convinced that our heart is not healthy until they have been satisfied by the only completely healthy love that exists, the love of God himself. I, like every other human being, had a cavernous need for unfailing love and I wanted validation and I wanted my worth to be seen and recognized by someone. I was a believer, but my heart was in that moment seeking for validation from man. And the problem with looking to the world for validation, besides the fact that it is unfilling and empty on its own, is that the love that the world has to offer is conditional. Conditional love comes from ego. When we love someone conditionally, we tend to want them to look, act, and think in ways that fit our own paradigms and expectations. We hold others accountable to our expectations in order to qualify for our affection. If they act in the way that we want them to, then we express our approval. If they act contrary to our wishes, we withhold our expression of acceptance of them. We feel this pressure from the world in so many ways and, and conditional love tells us that we'll be loved if and only if we look a certain way, if we fit in a certain clothing size, if we have certain desirable traits like a big butt or a big chest, if we are witty enough, if we're funny enough, if we're cute enough, or if we're fun enough. I've had so many of these insecurities of feeling like I needed to be this way in order to be loved and in order to be accepted, especially in high school. That breakout moment, literally my swimsuit breakout moment, I think was one of the pinnacles of my high school career where I just felt so low and so lost and confused about my identity and just feeling extremely exposed and unwanted. Even though, I mean, the thing is, it really wasn't a huge showdown between everyone watching me, just that one guy, but it was a huge pinnacle moment for me, for myself to suddenly gang and bully up on myself about all the things that the world wanted me to be. The problem with this conditional love is that you begin to base your worth on the standards that the world gives you and not based on the standards found in the truth. We strive for approval and acceptance from the world and we only deceive ourselves. But that's the thing about deceit is it sounds like truth, but it actually is a twisted lie. We know that God's word is true. We know that he is true. And we know that no lie can come from him. So where do these lies come from? Guess who can cultivate deceit, shame, unworthiness, and lies? John 8:44 tells us, The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 2 Corinthians also tells us to renounce secret and shameful ways. It urges us not to use deception or to distort the word of God. Now, these two verses tell us several things. One of them 
being that Satan is the father of lies and that there is no truth in him, zilch. The second thing that we see is four of Satan's specialties, secrecy, shame, deceit, and distortion of scripture. All you have to do to locate Satan in any situation is to look for these four things, deceit, shame, secrecy, and distortion of scripture. Any time that we are believing or acting on something that is contrary to the truth of God, we are keeping ourselves from finding victory in Christ. We can only be made complete in Christ and only in him do we find actual unconditional love. And most people search their whole lives in vain for this unconditional love because they're looking to the world for it and they can never find it because the world's love is conditional and it will never fulfill you. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, Love never fails. But the love that this verse is referring to is the agape love of God. From my personal experience, the more I surround myself in the culture of today, the more I end up feeling shame and the more I end up feeling empty. It's easy for me to focus on my outward appearance and feel like I'm not enough, especially when I'm on social media um, and especially when I begin comparing myself to other people that I know. And another vulnerable spot for me is sometimes I look at my love life, my non-existent love life, and that's another way for me to somehow feel shame and somehow feel like something is wrong with me. Like, I mean, heck, I can't even talk to a boy. I mean, I'm sure I can, but you know what I'm saying? These things that we think are important aren't important to God. And I was reading some things by Tozer and I was just so like blown away by what he said because it resonated with me so much. It's crazy because so many of us Christians and myself included, a lot of days and months and years settle for spiritual mediocrity. And certainly God is not honored by our arrest for spiritual development and our like permanent halfway spiritual condition. We all know that the Bible tells us to honor God by going to full maturity in Christ. But so many times we settle for the little pleasures that entertain our fleshly desires on earth. We take our eyes off of heaven and we focus on the things that the world tells us is important. But Christ calls us to take up our cross. And when we were called to take up the cross, a lot of times instead of following it, we end up bargaining with God. All believers at one point felt an urgency to just live solely for Christ and to be spent for Christ. But instead of going all in, we started asking questions. We began to bicker with God. We, we began to bargain with God. And we began to bargain about the standards of spiritual attainment. The reason why I say this is because this is something that I am always constantly like having to check in with myself about. Honestly, it's so easy just to see with like my media consumption, like how much time have I been spending on social media? How much time have I been investing in Netflix or Disney Plus? I don't mean to say that you can't be a Christian and watch Netflix. What I'm saying is, is that a lot of these things that the world gives us become stumbling blocks in our relationship with God because they end up taking higher priority and a higher place in our minds and in our hearts than God is and, and his word in our life. And I'm just coming up full-fledged saying right now that 
this is something that I struggle with constantly is having to to literally pick up my cross and say, God, I'm sorry, I've been such a sloth to, to do things this week. I haven't been honoring you with my time. I haven't been honoring you with my money, with my thoughts, with my heart. The biggest thing that I struggle with is being a good steward of my time. Because honestly, time is one of the most precious and limited gifts that we get on this earth. That like when I'm settling for spiritual mediocrity in this halfway Christian life, in the moment it feels good because I'm like, oh, I just get to relax and watch Netflix. I get to do Instagram for hours. I get to do all these things and not invest in my relationship with God. But then later by the end of the week, I'm feeling so empty. I'm feeling so drained. And I almost like have this moment where I'm like, why do I feel this way, God? Why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel like I'm not close to you? Why do you feel far away? And then I'm journaling and I'm reflecting and I feel this conviction of like, well, what was my heart even honoring God this week? Was I even like right now I'm in down in the dumps of this pit because I dug myself there and I'm getting mad at God. Like I just have this moment where I'm like, girl, pull yourself together. This cavernous need for this love and this unconditional love is only going to be filled by God. And it's crazy how addicting and time-consuming and heart-deceiving the things of this world are because it's like we know that God is we know that God needs to be the sole focus of our life and yet we are dragged into the things that the world says will fulfill us and it always leaves us feeling like I knew the right answer and I went for it again. So this video was a story time of that really awkward, embarrassing pinnacle moment of my freshman year of high school. But when I look back at that story in retrospect, I learned so much from it because my insecurities were so strong and I was not looking to God for fulfillment in my heart and longing. And even today, like in today's time, there are a lot of times when I'm like, oh, I just want a boyfriend or I just want something. I want to feel loved. And then I like think of, I think of it and I put myself 10 years ahead. Okay, so let's say I do get a boyfriend. Let's say I do get married. 10 years into my marriage, the instant attraction and the love fog is gonna be going away and I'm gonna be living with that person just like how I live with my family right now. They're not gonna fulfill me. This love that I want, that's, that's a temporary love. It can't fill the cavern. And then it's like I remember, well, holy cannoli, I have my Bible right here. I have the presence of God right here. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. I need to listen to this urge to live fully for Christ and just obey God now. And things will start to change when we focus on God and we literally say, here's my heart, Lord. Please, please refine it. Please give me the desires that you want for me to have. Change me from the inside out. I can get really fired up in these videos, but I wanted to end on this prayer for you guys. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. God, help me to meditate on your unfailing love. Help me not to have the sin of unbelief after all you've done to tell me you love me and to demonstrate your love for me.